You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for worst ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Alright, hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he cannot tell a lie, he chopped down that cherry tree. It's Mr. Jeff McLeodge. It's true. Everything I've ever told you is a lie, Bill, including that. Except for the tree. The no, tree's the only thing I'm going to tell you. Including, the, well, it's like including that. What's up? How you doing? I'm alright. I just uh, got back from a road trip. Did you? Yeah, I went out to Cincinnati to visit some friends. Mm. As I say, I have more friends in Cincinnati than I have uh, relatives in New Bedford. So, uh. yeah, I went out there. I left on early Tuesday morning and then came home late Saturday night. So, oh. yeah, I was only out there for a couple of days, but, you know, it was cool. Yeah, sounds like fun. Yeah, and it's Cincinnati. It's not a town I've spent a lot of time in. Got there on Tuesday, didn't even check into the hotel, just like walked in, gave the woman my credit card, didn't move my bags or nothing, and immediately went out to eat. Right. And we went to, and what's great about Cincinnati, or actually any place outside of New York, I guess, you know, west of New York, is there's a lot more food chains, a lot more chain everything. Right. But there's a lot more restaurant options outside of New England. Right. So- we went to this place called, I think it was called Cheddar's. And, you know, it's kind of like a TGI Fridays or right. a Applebee's or right, right. whatever the, you know, just yeah, family dining. Yeah, I call those casual dining restaurants. Yeah, family dining, whatever. It was called Cheddar's, right? <laughs> and it says scratch cooking restaurant or whatever. Oh, my chapped ball scratch cooking. <laughs> because I asked a waitress if I could, because there was this... Um, Cajun dish that I wanted, but it had shrimp in it. It had chicken and shrimp. And I was like, can I get double the chicken and just not the shrimp? And she's like, everything is like frozen. And then it's all boiling bag. Yeah. Yeah. It's all boiling bag stuff. I was like, well, can we just like pull the shrimp out? And she's like, no, we can't do that. I was like, well, I'm not getting that. Right. So yeah. From scratch my, yeah, scratch my ass. Okay. <laughs> well, I've never been there. I'm not a, I don't generally have a problem with casual dining restaurants, as you mm-hmm. call them, but it's generally not my first choice of place to eat. However, when I travel, yeah. when I travel for work, they are because there's a level of consistency that I expect that doesn't make me have to like freak out over what I might be eating. So I know that mm-hmm. if I go to Colorado for work and two blocks over from my hotel is an Outback Steakhouse, it's going to taste the same, it's going to have the same kind of service and the same kind of decor as any other Outback Steakhouse anywhere else in the country that I might be going to. And that makes uh-huh. it easier for me to just go there. I don't have to think too hard about it. I don't have to fret over like well, any of that see, stuff. See, I'm the so. opposite, though. 
I'm the opposite. Like, why? If I'm out of the area, why would I go to McDonald's when I can go to a Jack in the Box? I don't have Jack in the Box out here. You know? Yeah, but I mean, that's the point. Is like generally, you sort of go with. I generally don't eat at at Outback Steakhouse when I'm not traveling. For example, so I never I never eat there when I'm home ever. I go to local places, but. When I'm traveling, I don't know the local places that are good. I don't know which ones, you know, have a cockroach infestation or have been overrun with rats or, you know, everybody's got hepatitis A. I only know that if I go to Outback Steakhouse and I get food poisoning, I have recourse because it's corporate. If I go to, like, Bobby Joe's House of Flapjacks and I get food poisoning, I'm SOL. (laughs) So... We went to this other place. You and I need to go to Cincinnati because I would never get you out of this supermarket, I guess. <laughs> Uh-oh. It's called Jungle Gyms, okay? And it's broken up into four sections. Yep. When you first walk in, it's all kind of like toys, games, and collectibles, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm going to say five sections. So the second section is all kind of like homewares. So okay. like frying pans and yeah, uh, yeah. chop yep. blocks and stuff like that. Third section is just your standard run-of-the-mill grocery store. That's where you're going to get your fruits and vegetables and other than that, right? The fifth section, now I did leave out the fourth section because the fourth section is the exciting one. The fifth section is super cool and my favorite section is every aisle is a different country. Okay. So if you're in the Japan aisle, you're going to have all your like dried seaweed snacks and stuff like that. And the potato chips are like crawfish flavor. Save it, but you know, <laughs> other you know, the it's Cincinnati's a metropolitan region, so there's a right. lot of diversity. And then there's a, a bunch of different hot sauces, like like two walls just full of hot sauces. Really super interesting, especially if you like ethnic foods. Yeah. Now, the fourth one. This is the one that freaked us all out, and I'm not. I, I freaked me out. They freaked everybody out. They're all from there. It's a fresh fish section. Right now, yeah. granted, when you're a thousand miles away from the nearest ocean, I have questions. But it's just like any fish market you would see over here on the coast, right? Yeah. Except then some. So you know, it's got the big like slab of ice with all the fish like sitting on it. They had like red snapper and yep. a couple of other fish and all that. And then this guy comes walking out from the back with like struggling with it because it was a little too big for him to hold. Struggling and walking out with a whole damn shark. A whole shark, Jeff. <laughs> this Mako shark, a good five feet long, just like, bam, a shark. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I know Cincinnati's a river city, so I'm not super scared about eating seafood from there. It's not like you're in Utah, you know, yeah. where, uh, you know, I don't know when this stuff got trucked here, but it wasn't this week. But right. since Cincinnati's a, a, a transit hub and has a river trade, I think that's what made Cincinnati for a short time the largest city in the United States in the 1800s. Yeah. But yeah, I've never seen somebody dress a full-on mako shark before. That'd be pretty cool. You I would just totally, walk it out would, with it. I'll, I'll, I, I I'll send you a picture fish. of it. Yeah. <laughs> I would just be like, can I watch you cut it up? I'm Wrap like, it up! I'm a pervert <laughs> that way, yeah. <laughs> I'll just take a whole damn shark home with me. Wrap it right. up. Wrap it up. Can you ship that? No? Oh, all right. I don't think they're going to let me take it on the plane. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to call up my, my emotional support shark. Maybe I can get in the seat. <laughs> all right. So, sharks notwithstanding, 
Before we get on to the show proper, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Um, nobody here by that name. Yeah, so this isn't so much a trivia question. It's kind of like one of those puzzle-thinky things. Oh, boy. I apologize. I probably should have did this like two months ago because it's kind of Christmas-oriented. All right. Lay it on me. What time does Santa Claus begin delivering his presents? What time... Does Santa Claus begin delivering his presents? Yep. Oh, boy. All right. I I admit to being clock and calendar impaired, so I guess at the end of the show, you can listen to me get it wrong, everybody. I can can listen to the air just whiz by. (laughs) Right. But anyway, this is the week beginning February the 5th, and it is your turn to start. Uh, We're going to start off this week with a celebrity birthday, Bill. Go on. Yes. February 5th, 1948. An American actor named Christopher Guest is born. You may know him from such films as... I'm trying to think of any that you might not know to carry <laughs> on with our joke, but there may not be any because he's been Probably in a best ton, of, ton of stuff. Uh, lead guitarist and Lenny and the Squigtones. How about that? <laughs> oh, I know who you're talking about. Christopher Guest, probably best known for the movie For Your Consideration. <laughs> that was a good movie, by the way. Or uh, A Mighty Wind. Um, or Best in Show. Best in Show. And and probably the one that most of our audience is going to know is Spinal Tap. Where yes. he played a guitarist, frustrated guitarist, Nigel Tufnell. Yes, with the classic line, these go to 11. These go to 11. And uh, he plays the beautiful piano music, and he, it's called Lick My Love Pump. <laughs> He's had some other like bit parts, too, like... Yep. He was in Little Shop of Horrors in 1986, and he was also uh, he was in Princess Bride. He was. He was also in he was in a few Good Men. Yeah. Yep. He's been in all kinds of stuff. He also used to write for Saturday Night Live, and he was in he was one of the cast members for a couple of years, I think, only two. Uh And um, has been a staple on TV and in films since like the middle 1970s. Right. He's he's one of those people that you certainly know but may not recognize for sure. I'm looking through his IMDb over here, and I see a movie on here that I think you and I are going to have to cover for uh, Worst Movie Ever. Oh, do tell. Yeah, it's called Heart Beeps. Oh, yeah. I remember that. With uh, Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters. Bernadette Peters. Peters. Yeah, I saw that in the movies, I think. Uh, it's a romantic hobby about two robots, Jeff. Yeah, I, I know, and Andy Kaufman's in it, so it's bound to be unusual. So, yeah, that's yeah. definitely one that we can try and spool up for a chat. <laughs> if, if we can find it, right. Yeah, that's, right. that's the other thing. Moving on. February the 6th, 1981. Remaining Beatles, George Harrison and Paul McCartney. Well, one remaining Beatle, George Harrison. Well, currently, currently remaining Beatle. Well, uh, no, George Harrison's passed now, but Paul McCartney died. We, everybody knows that, Jeff. <laughs> oh, that's, yes, I'm sorry. I forgot yeah. I forgot about the zombification. I was thinking yeah. more modern times where he's still shambling around, and yet George Harrison is dead. Yeah. A so, non-zombie. George Harrison and somebody claiming to be Paul McCartney record vocals to a Ringo Starr track that was written by George. Man, this is, <laughs> that sounds like a... Uh, Tex Colorado, the Arizona assassin. <laughs> it definitely does. <laughs> All right. So see if you can follow this bouncing ball. I'm going to try it one more time. All right. George Harrison George and Paul Harrison. McCartney. And Paul McCartney. 
record vocals to a Ringo Starr song that was actually written by George and reworked as a tribute to John Lennon called All Those Years Ago. I remember that song being around. I, I, remember, I remember that song. That, yeah, that was a good song. And I remember it was uh, it was a staple for like six months on MTV, the, the video yeah, for it. About to say that with a lot of like all oh, like all clips old from their clips old of the films. Beatles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good tune. No, I'm not gonna. I that was a great song. In my mind, I want to remember it as a George Harrison song, mm-hmm. like in the title block on MTV. But over here, it's saying that it's a Ringo Starr song. I don't know. Whatever. It's a buddy. It's the Beatles. I remember it as a as a George Harrison song, but I think it's uh, well. I, I, maybe it was on both of their records, but I thought it was on the same record with "I Got My Mindset on You." Still, no. I, that's I can't on, that, that's much that's much later. That Is was it like much later? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, this goes along hand in hand with what we talked about a few weeks ago with the AI, you know, redoing of a Beatles song, right? Then and now, I think it was called. I yeah. And then the technology uh, a few years back when they did uh, "Free as a Bird," I think it was called. Yep. That was for was one of their like part of a box set track, and they right. they all built a song with an unrecorded track that John Lennon had, and then the surviving members sang and played drums on it. Yeah, and released it. It was okay. And yeah. I remember thinking like, "Oh, this sounds like somebody building a Beatles song out of some <laughs> pieces and parts of Beatles music," but it was it was a little bit better than that. And I think that the newest one with uh, AI robot John Lennon. Yep. Is probably better than, not better than all those years ago, but certainly better than Free as a Bird. Sure. Because the way that the music can be understood by a computer can tend to make it sound, I think, more like what we think of as the Beatles. I don't know. I think we're probably, you know, safe estimate, 10 years away from, I mean, think about it. The way AI has been progressing. Yes. Ten years from now, you could feed in every Beatles song, every Beatles lyric, and say, you know, hey robot, uh, hey, uh, let me let me piss off everybody who owns one. Hey Alexa, um, <laughs> you know, write me a new Beatles song. Right. You know, and it could composite everything and even make it sound like the Beatles. They, you know, they could have an AI George Martin. It, it frightens me because we have such a penchant, at least in our American culture towards nostalgia that yeah. I, I can imagine you know like less than five years from now you know think about christmas songs right we get every Ugh. year we get to hear bing crosby and david bowie sing little drummer boy but maybe five years from now we hear bing crosby and david bowie and del shannon and two of the guys from the gorillas and you know somebody else all singing another version of that song and it, we don't know the difference because even though they're all dead and then even going forward, more, more recently there, whenever Kiss decided to hang up their seven-inch heels, they said going forward that Kiss is going to be AI avatars. Yeah, virtual and band. Yeah, I don't really know how I feel about that. Like, okay, except for the diehards, who's going to go? And the diehards are aging out. You know? Yes. Yeah, uh, eventually it'll be like, my granddad said Kiss used to be cool, and they were alive once, you know? Like, yeah, I don't want yeah. to you know, be around for that Ouija-boarded conversation with my grandkids if I ever have any. Yeah. To me, it's it, the technology has come far enough that I, I guess you could make it work. In the very recent past, there have been a couple of different uh, virtual, I'm saying this with my air quotes, but virtual tours 
one where the Frank Zappa family, which was in the midst of destroying each other in court, did a, yep. a tour was like Ahmed Zappa and part of the Zappa band with a three dimensional, which wasn't three dimensional version of Frank Zappa on stage. And he yep. would like step out on a screen and play a guitar solo and then sort of step back and then the band would continue the song. And the technology is such that it, I think maybe for die, die, die hard fans. Yeah. You know, it kind of works. But for me, and I love like Frank Zappa and I love Kiss, but I'm not really interested in watching like the cartoon version of the band play songs I like. I'd rather just go watch a live copy. There's plenty of them out there of them yeah, playing exactly. live. You know, like if I'm going to watch Kiss Avatars, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that at home. I don't right. have to go somewhere to do it. And I'm somebody like, so, like, take, for example, like, Taylor Swift's recent tour, right? She put out a concert, three-hour concert film, which is a com compilation of, like, four different shows. You pay 20 bucks to go see it. I would, I yeah. do that to go see a Kiss show from, like, 1976 or 78 uh, mm -hmm. or 79. Or I'd do that to go see a Frank Zappa show with the, you know, night from 1986 or something yeah. like that to go see it in a cinema and see it actually, you know, as a concert film. Because there's enough footage out there to make one, I'm sure. Right. All right, moving on to February the 7th. <laughs> February 7th, 1985. New York City declares that New York, New York will become its official anthem. And this is just about the time that New York City was transitioning from seedy New York City as represented in 1970s cinema to... Mm -hmm more commercial friendly New York City as represented by the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company and Lululemon being in Times Square. But it was in yeah. the 80s that that transition really started to take place. Right. For better or for worse. And I'd say for better. Like, I had some friends over here. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I had some friends over here uh, watching Taxi Driver. And mm -hmm. some of them are young millennials and i think one or two of them were even zillennials you know i think yep. the youngest was 25 26 years old but oddly enough she was the only one that had seen taxi driver before. right anyway long way around the fence to say you know new york city in the 70s was much different and i was pointing it out to the people watching the movie i was like you see where they are in new york you see this that's Times square right and they're like what i was like no yeah Times yeah. square Prior to like, uh, it started in the mid 80s, but I'm going to say it was probably mid 90s whenever it really got cleaned up. Yep. But like the ball got rolling in the in the mid 80s to clean up New York City because New York City was tough, tough back then. New York City was tough. There's still sections of it that are certainly tough, but there are. Times I mean, Square but is you, not one of them. Yeah. You can, yeah, you can go back and watch video from the 1980s about like the South Bronx and stuff, and it looks like a it looks like a city that's been bombed. Yeah, like bombed from the air, like Dresden. Oh, right. It's terrible, and some of that's been changed. Uh, let's talk about Kiss Back for a second, right? Yep. You know the video for Lick It Up. Yes. You know, it's a, if you watch the video for Look It Up, this is 1983 now. Yep. And, you know, it, it looks like dystopian hellscape and all that. That wasn't a set. That yeah, wasn't that was, a set at all. They right. didn't have to build that. That was a neighborhood in New York. Yeah. Yeah, it was It was a uh, a, a big mess. And it's, it, I mean, it's like the, is it the most famous city in the world? No, but it, it's typically described as like the world's city because the United Nations is there, among other things. 
And it was definitely hurt by economic decline after the, the early 1970s that really hoovered money out of different areas, leading to some of the gentrification that you saw, and then ultimately the commercialization of much bigger parts of the city. Even places like Hell's Kitchen are yep. super nice and expensive to, to be in now. I was in Hell's Kitchen for work a few years back, and I was totally not afraid to walk anywhere at night because everything I was bought very a nice. Yeah, you know? It's like, take me to Hell's Bathroom. It's got to be better than this. Um, <laughs> All right. Moving on to the 8th, we have another celebrity birthday, Jeff. Born on February the 8th, 1974. Diminutive in size, but enormous in charisma. Uh, your friend and mine, Seth Green. Uh, I like him. Probably best known for playing the little brother in Can't Buy Me Love. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that movie up. <laughs> Probably best known. Well, I guess it's hard to say because he's been he's done all kinds of stuff. Yeah, uh, he's done he's done voice acting as Chris on Family Guy. He is the since the beginning, yeah, since the beginning. He's the producer of and one of the main voice actors on Robot Chicken, which I think has run for ten seasons now uh-huh. uh, on Cartoon Network. Or is this still running? Adult Swim. I think the last year was maybe last year. I had Xfinity for years. And they didn't have the Viacom contract anymore. Right. But now that I have Hulu, I actually do have Comedy Central and Cartoon Network. So I could catch Robot Chicken if I had to. That's cool. The last time I saw that it was streaming, it was on Max. But again, I don't know if it's still there. That stuff moves around all the time. But that right. show's really, really funny. Some of my favorite hours of TV are, are buried in those seasons. Also, let's not forget he was Scotty Evil. Scotty yeah, Evil Scott, in the... Scotty uh, Evil. And the... Uh, Austin Powers films. Yeah. Yes, yes, he was. And that's that's probably the film that sort of broke him out into modern popular culture. Before that, he did some TV stuff. He was in Radio Days, which is a great Woody Allen movie, playing young Woody Allen. But when he played Scott Evil, like, I think that really opened up, up doors for him because he was so goddamn funny in that movie. Yep. It's hard to believe that he wasn't able to sort of grow it huge from there if he didn't. And, and he really right. did. But I mean... Like we have established before, not everybody wants to be the most famous person in the right. world. Some people are happy being doing voice acting, you know? Yes. Yep. It's like, if the money's coming in, I only have to work, I can work in my pajamas? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I'll he, take it. he produces, yeah, he produces Robot Chicken, so he's, it's a busy, he's busy with that show, him and Matt Senreich. Being able to pick and choose the projects that you work on that focus on things that you want to do, how much better life can you have than that? Yeah. All right, moving on to the 9th. February 9th, 1943. It's the war, Bill. It's World War II. Yes, it is. And Roosevelt needs jeeps and tanks built. So he sets the minimum number of work hours for war production, that's production in factories that make armaments, at 48 hours a week. Minimum number of hours. Minimum. That's a lot. That's a lot. 48 hours is six days of eight hours a day, or I'm not going to do the math, but... It's probably 12 hours a day for the whole week is Monday through Friday was the typical shift, right? And then a second yeah. shift that came after and did the swing shift from whatever closing time was for the first shift to the beginning of the second shift or whatever. That's a ton of hours. And it was, yes. the, it was the industrial might of the U.S. that sort of made it possible for World War II to end the way that it did when it did. Now, typically, I work anywhere between 44 to 48 hours a week. And that's fine. I do... 
eight and a half to nine hour days yep. and then four hours on Saturday. And that gives me, you know, 48 hours and a, a decent paycheck out of that. Yes. But I remember in the summer of 2020 during the pandemic. Right. Something happened in the industry where we got super busy and they told us that we had we had to, it was mandatory overtime of 10 hour days plus eight hours on a Saturday. And if you didn't work that, you would get points. And that lasted one week. And everybody in the company <laughs> said, this. Yeah. Like, dude, I don't mind working like the way I do. You know, right. nine hour days and then a half day on Saturday. That's fine. As long as I can have a couple of Saturdays off every once in a while, I'm fine with that. Right. But eight hours on a Saturday after you've already worked 50 hours. Yeah. Dude. That was too much. Yeah, that's that's definitely too much. You know, I manage people. We're in crunch time for half of the year, the company that I work at. There's always a specter of mandatory overtime over the people that I work with and the people that report to me. And my argument is always the same. So there's no ankle bracelet on you. And no judge has told me that you have to work here for more than 40 hours a week unless I pay you more than for the 40 hours a week. If I give you time and a half, you're welcome to it. Right. But I can't force you to take it. That's not how this relationship works. I'll offer it right. to you. And if you want it, you'll take it. And I'm plead my case as to why I want you to take it. But ultimately, it's you. you know? Right. And that's just sort of the way it works. In the 40s, during especially during war production, how factories kept people from like seizing control of the means of production, right. to use a phrase at the time, is they provided hot lunches and breakfasts and dinners. And they provided band music and they had marching bands and they had baseball games and they provided health insurance because there was a wage cap as well. So you could only pay cert at up to a certain point. And then after right. that, hey, you know, you're SOL because we need the money for the war effort. So to, to make all of these, these things happen, that's where the, the birth of fringe benefits like health right. insurance and other say, things were. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, ultimately benefits came down to keep people from unionizing. Yeah. Yeah, I think the benefits package has also, you know, made jobs more attractive. Why should I work for this guy for $15 an well, now, $15 an hour when I can go work much easier for $15 an hour somewhere else? Well, it comes down to benefits. Right. right? Well, part of it, too, is like, look, we know we, we can't attract talent. People who are not going overseas to fight, right? We need people to come and work in the factories and make B-17s or whatever. Right. And we can only pay you however many hundreds of dollars a month we're allowed to. So on top of that, this isn't counted as pay, but here's now we'll cover your health insurance. We have a doctor and hospital staff on here at the factory. Yeah. Here's all your free lunches and dinners Monday through Friday. And we have a social club on Sundays that you can go to for free. And like all of these things don't count as pay. And then the, when the war efforts ended, because there were so many that were that were so many that were unionized, those ended up staying as benefits that people kept. It wasn't until considerably after the end of the first, Second World War that things began to change with regard to how businesses treated the employees that they have with regard to benefits. And that ends our political discussion for this week. <laughs> That's not really party talk, but you know what is party talk? February the tenth, nineteen seventy-eight. The debut album from half German, half American rock and roll ba band Van Halen. Well, ain't talking about love. Yeah. The first <laughs> Van Halen album is 
what we refer to in the music industry as a motherfucker. Yeah, that's a great record. Yeah, I honestly am not an enormous Van Halen fan. I like little blips and blurbs here and there. I mean, but you can't deny the first Van Halen album. I mean, right out of the box, it starts out with Running With The Devil. Yep. And Eruption, that that super famous guitar solo. Right. That put Eddie Van Halen on the map as a a virtuoso guitar player, right? Yep. But like, Ain't Talking About Love is on this one. Jamie's Crying is on here. You Really Got Me. Yeah. The Kings cover. Yeah, All Killer, No Filler. Yep. All that being said... Here's where I stop being nice. <laughs> I know plenty of people out there that hate Kiss, okay? Uh-huh. And then these same people that hate on Kiss love Van Halen. And to them, I say, F*** you, it's the same damn band. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you, but I don't necessarily agree. I think that Kiss, there would be no Van Halen were there no Kiss. Right, uh, in more ways than one, because it was, and you can make an argument for either person, right. Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons who discovered Van Halen. I think it was Gene Simmons that brought Van Halen to Paul Stanley's uh, attention. He, brought, he no. saw them play. I thought he brought a demo uh, of Eddie no, Van what Halen. what happened and... was Paul Stanley had seen them play Okay, and brought Gene Simmons over there, and then Gene Simmons was like, yeah, I'll give you guys a recording contract. And then, like, <laughs> under Paul Stanley's nose. Like, Paul Stanley's always been pissed off about that. And I, I know he worked with them to cut a demo, but then ultimately it didn't go anywhere, and they got picked up by whoever their record company was like at the time. I, like, Geffen, I think. I I, I want to say it was Warner Brothers. But whatever. It doesn't, it, that's immaterial. Yeah. Van Halen has gone on and on. They only recently ultimately called it quits whenever frontman slash guitar player Eddie Van Halen. That band can't exist without Eddie. No. Uh, that's that's one thing. Well, at least for uh, now, until the AI gets a hold of his, uh, all, of his, yeah, all like, of his demos. Exactly, yeah. It'll be Van, Eddie Van Halen 2.0. Yep. They had a lot of different lineup changes. Uh, yes. Apparently, the Van Halen brothers get along with exactly two people each other, and that's <laughs> yeah. it. And that means Alex Van Halen has nobody to talk to now, except for if he uses yeah. a Ouija board. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he could talk to his nephew, Wolfgang, but yeah. I wouldn't bank on that one either. I wouldn't either. You know, at least in the interviews that I've read with him, it doesn't seem like that's a super familial family. <laughs> All right, and let's wrap up the week. All right. Hey, we're ending this week on a celebrity birthday, just like we started it, Bill. Hey, huh? Yeah, so uh, instead of going to the United States for our celebrity this time, we're going to the beautiful wilds of Saskatchewan, Canada, where perennial straight man Leslie Nielsen was born in 1926. I wow, that it was no, call me surprised. I didn't know. I didn't know he was Canadian. Oh, I I, the Canadian part I knew, but I didn't like 1926. That seems like almost a hundred years ago, Bill. Yeah, basically, right. That's uh, that's like Marilyn Monroe. I think she was born either 25 or 26, yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Man. Yeah, he always did straight rolls up until Airplane. Yep. And then after Airplane, he did almost exclusively comedy roles, yeah. Yeah, well, it, but he played the straight man in almost all of the comedy roles, which was why he worked so well in Airplane. I remember right. him, so I first saw him not in Airplane, 
but in Forbidden Planet, the 1960s Disney space movie, where he was the captain of the Altair. Which really? Was the, yeah. He's the lead in that film. And I didn't recognize who he was, because, I mean, I was like eight. But right. um, when I saw him in Naked Gun, I had just watched, within the, the preceding year, I had just watched oh, Forbidden oh, Planet again wait, on, wait. on VHS. Hold on a second. Forbidden Planet's a Disney film? Yeah. Well, Disney did no. all the special effects. Oh, okay. so it's think, an MGM. I it was, yeah, I think of it as a Disney film because I think of all the special effects in it, and that was all done by Walt Disney Company. Okay, because it, yeah, right. it's not a Disney film, per right. se. All Sorry, right, yeah, my mistake. Okay. Yeah, we watched Forbidden Planet, didn't we? No, that's not what we watched. We haven't watched Forbidden Planet together, you and I. What's the, what's the one with the gorilla with the fishbowl in his head? <laughs> that's, that's Robot Monster. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very different film. Forbidden Not Planet really. is what is what we would describe as well made and cost money, <laughs> and Robot Monster is neither of those things. So, okay. all right. <laughs> I'm just look, no, I'm looking at the poster, and I was like, the, 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 I know this isn't the same thing. All right, but yeah, Leslie Nielsen, probably best known for the Naked Gun films. Yeah, uh, where he played Frank Drebin. Do you have a favorite Police Squad or Naked Gun quote? Yes. <laughs> All right. My my favorite one comes from part two. Yep. Whenever Priscilla Presley is describing the perb uh, that they're looking for. Yep. He's like, do, do you have a description of the suspect? Uh, yeah, he's a Caucasian, white guy, mustache, about six foot four. It's an awfully <laughs> big mustache. Awfully big mustache, yeah. <laughs> that was a funny one. And... For me, at least as far as the Naked Gun films go, and the first one when he Priscilla Presley is up getting a file for him in a in the library, the law library, yeah. and he looks up her dress and he goes, "Nice beaver," and she says, "Thank <laughs> you, I just had it stuffed." And she hands down a stuffed taxidermy beaver. I yeah. pretty much laughed my popcorn right off my lap at that in the cinema. Easily one of my favorite giggles. His perfect deadpan delivery is what made that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, he was doing autographs over at one of the conventions, and my friend Brian, you know, just started talking with him and, like, told him a joke. And then Leslie Nielsen told him a joke back. Yeah. And then Brian told him a joke. And then Leslie Nielsen told a joke. And they went back and forth for, like, five different jokes. Oh, wow. And then Liz- Leslie Nielsen finally goes, hold on, stop. You're good. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my friend Brian's, like, big bragging point. Yep. There are some fun videos you can watch of him, like right as he was in the naked, I think it was between Naked Gun 1, Naked Gun and, and Naked Gun 2, The Smell of Fear, where he was on the chat show circuit. And it, it was because like he had come out of being this straight man and now was like primarily this big comedy actor. And he would go to interviews like on, I don't know if it was Jay Leno or The Tonight Show or whatever, with a f- electronic fart box. And he just yeah. made fart sounds like while people were talking. It was so stupid and funny. And yeah, he... And it was it was really silly. Yeah, he thought fart box was just like the funniest thing. It would, he would always carry like a whoopee cushion with him because he thought that was the funniest. And, and I, I'm not gonna lie, if it was anybody else, it would be an- annoying. But because it's yeah. Leslie Nielsen, I do not disagree with him. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we get on to our worst song ever, we do have our weird holiday for today, and ooh, it's a weird one for sure because <laughs> February the eighth is kite flying day. Kite flying That's right. Day. Yeah, the dead of freaking winter, 
People are going to go flying kites to celebrate kite flying day. I know what I'm doing on February the 8th. Staying inside yeah. and not flying anything. Not, not flying anything, right. I, I, I can't even imagine who would be who would think, unless, I, this might be like New England bias that we have, though, Bill. Yeah. Because I'm sure in like Florida, South Carolina, Texas, or whatever, you're like, yeah, it's a good day to go fly a kite. Whereas here, uh, it's a good day to die of hypothermia. Right. While holding yeah, a kite in your backyard. Yeah, people in the high altitudes of Colorado are going to be like, nope, I'm not flying anything. Right, yeah. Or on top of Mount Washington, 225 mile an hour winds at negative 5,000 degrees Kelvin. Yeah. <laughs> I have to look to see if the Gala Kite Company is still in business. God, I used to love them. Those were my favorites uh, yeah. as a kid. What was yours? I'm going to say Sky Spy because... That was mine! Because if I say the butterfly one, we'll get evil mail. But yeah. Butter Butterfly one was my favorite. Flutter Burt Butterwink, which is what it was called. I thought that oh. was the coolest one, and it seemed to hold together better than Sky Spy did. Although the eyes on Sky Spy were cool. See, yeah, I got Sky Spy because I was always into, like, monsters. Yeah. And, like, the eyes were, like, bloodshot. So it was just, like, a standard triangle kind of shaped kite, and it had two eyes on either side. And my brother, because he was super into Batman, he used to get one that was shaped like a bat. Yes, so I would get Sky Spy. They were only like a buck fifty at the time. And yeah, they didn't. 50 they, cents for they were. That was one afternoon of kite flying if you were lucky uh, <laughs> with those things, and because they just the stick snapped or you nose dived it into the ground and it just tore apart. But they were super super fun. Did you and your friends do like the kite wars thing, where oh, you yeah you you, duck, remember, you hang fish hooks and put pins oh, and no, tape pins no. all over them and try and rip each other's kites apart at full length up on the string. No, but I remember just, like, getting my string underneath, like, somebody else's kite yeah. and just, like, just, like, yeah. ripping it through, right? Yeah, like a, yeah. Like a, a saw a saw string, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. We did all that stuff. That was that was great fun as a kid. But we didn't do it in February. No, uh, certainly not. That's that's a, a summertime activity. February was crazy. for spine-smashing snow football when I was a kid. That's what we used they to play. Were, yep. They were, uh, I mean, wait, I mean, when we were kids, it seemed like they were hundreds and hundreds of miles up in the air. They were probably only a couple of hundred feet. Yes. I mean, you couldn't hit it with a rock. You definitely couldn't shoot a rubber band at it. That would be a waste of time. Kind of like shooting rubber bands at the moon. Ugh, <laughs> why? 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 <laughs> the worst song ever. Uh, this was my pick this week, wasn't it? It was indeed, Bill. I'm the one who picked this, yeah. Yeah, I might have to uh, retract a lot of things I've, I've thought and said over the years. So we're going to get the clip right out of the way as fast as we can, just so that people can understand what we're talking about. This week's worst song ever is a song called What I Am by Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. Mm. I'm not aware of too many things. I know what I know. I picked this song because I just remembered. Uh, what did this song come out? Like 1990? Uh, I think it was 80, 88, 89. Oh. I think it was pre 90s. Let me look it up to. Uh, I hate being wrong. I don't always have to be right, but I hate being wrong. Right. Oh, wow. So eight, 1988. So, yeah, 
So this album came out pre-Comet, and I'm not going to say that this is a... When I say the Comet, we're obviously talking about Nirvana. Right. This album probably would have done better, uh, I'd say, six years later. You know? Yeah. I mean, this song, this song right here was an enormous hit. It was. But how do I want to say this? Edie McKellen, the New Bohemians, they didn't have a place in pop music. Like, this album was produced to be a pop album. Yeah. But I went and I listened to the rest of their uh, this album. Not the rest of it, but a lot of mm-hmm. it. And then I listened to a few other songs from some of their other albums. And I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to say it. I don't mind Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say that, I, you know, when you proposed this song, I... Rolled my eyes so far back into my head, I could see my own brain, and yeah. and thought like, oh man, I I stopped listening to them like as fast as I could when they were popular because I hate this song, blah blah. And I went back today and listened to a handful of tracks, and again, I have this, I've sort of softened on them in the twenty some yeah. odd years since I last listened to them involuntarily to the point where I don't necessarily really dislike this particular song but there's a bunch of them that i really like from this same album whenever i put this song in i'm listening you know i'm listening to it like in headphones you know i'm giving it a good listen musically i was like this is actually okay musically but uh, honestly edith brickell the worst part about it is what i'm getting at in this particular and, song is and i think the lyrics have something to do like i had a hard time with the whole opening which is like i'm not aware of too many things I know what I know, and you know yeah. what I mean. Like, oh, it's a celebration of being stupid, and <laughs> and and it's the sort of song sort of plays on that idea that you can. It's it's about more like innocence or willful innocence, which is fine. I understand that more right. now as a fifty some odd year old person than I did as a twenty some odd year old person, teenager when this came yeah. out. Yep. But also, like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with uh, Megan Trainer, right? You know. Edie Brickell, whenever this song came out, was 22 years old. Right. I'm going to guess that she wrote the song prior to that. There was a band called the New Bohemians, and she was friends with them, you know, just outside of Dallas, Texas. Yep. And they invited her up on stage to sing with them and then ended up, you know, making her a part of the band. Yes. And it was the record company that forced the, the name change to Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. Probably not a bad move. I guess. To yeah. Add a, I mean, she was ultimately the face of the band. It's different, I think, for women fronters. I guess that's the right phrase. Because they did the same sure. thing with Scandal. Remember Scandal? Then it was Scandal with Patty Smythe. Yeah, sure, yeah. But And, and also, you know, what's in the name? Yes. But you know, like I said, Ibrika was like 22. And they put out another album, which uh, it barely charted. And then... You know, color me surprised. They've been putting out albums sporadically as le- recently as three years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's been doing yeah. stuff with Steve Martin, and you know, she did some solo stuff by then. Right. By then, she was. I'm sure she was doing like the like this a couple hundred person venues. You know, which yeah. is which seems to be about where this type, and I'm saying type with air quotes, but this type of music tends to sort of draw its more active audience is that like 500 seat place maybe this type of music is not for arenas it's absolutely not yeah you're not going to sell out the big venues and that's what the record company was kind of like 
pitching for. Right. But that's not this type of music. This is a musically take Edie Brickell out of it and please do. But if I mean take music uh, her out of it, just have the music. This is the kind of music that like dudes that are like super into jam bands like. Yeah. And then the other thing I was saying whenever I was listening to it was I would Oh my god, I can't believe this this sentence is leaving my mouth. <laughs> I would go back and listen to Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians, but I would do it while I was doing something. Like I wouldn't have them in headphones. I would have them on a speaker while I'm at work or while I'm cleaning my house or while I'm doing something else. Well, not while I'm driving well, uh, and not in headphones. I, I don't generally play the one-up game, but I'm going to play it today in that like, oh, yeah? like, like Melanie. Remember Melanie from I've got a brand new pair of roller skates, you've got a brand new key? Yes. I, yes, that I song would, blows. I would sit. I would sit down and listen to a record of Edie Brickell just to sit and listen to it, even if it was only once. The same way that I did with Melanie, and then I went and bought a bunch of Melanie records used because they were good. But like, huh? I, I would sit down and like just experience it through the stereo and and try pick it up for what it is. And I think I would probably dig it because I I do have a, an affinity for like girls with guitar music that are not how do i describe this in a way that's not negative but like it's not like sad girl music which is really popular now i have a daughter that loves it but it's right. it's different it, you know what i mean it's almost adult contemporary but it's kind of not there was a certain type of girl in 1990 that was definitely listening to Edie Bacall in the New Bohemians yes. right yeah she didn't wash much and she smoked camel cigarettes and <laughs> she wore farmer <laughs> jeans she wore farmer yeah jeans, yeah, yeah. She had dreadlocks, so, but not uh, on purpose. Yeah, one or two, right. If I was you, though, uh, young Jeff, I wouldn't go with that first album. Boy, I wouldn't go with shooting rubber bands uh, at the moon just because of the production is you know slated for pop music. Yeah. I would go with... Well, there was a long period of time where they didn't they broke up because Edith Brickell, uh met Paul Simon on Saturday Night Live, and <laughs> she said... I think she was like 25, yeah. and he was like 50. You know? Yep. God love you, Paul. And she was like, "Oh yeah, by the way, guys, I'm quitting the band. I'm marrying Paul Simon. Bye." I, th and I think that was in eight. I think that was in eighty-eight or eighty-nine. So she was just just old enough to, to for this record to have come out. It was touring. Uh, it was doing promos for this record for shooting rubber bands from the stars. When she saw him, she had just done this song. She said she forgot the lyrics to the song when she saw him standing underneath the camera, which at his full height was still underneath the camera. <laughs> Uh, right here it says that they got married in 1992. Oh, okay. And it is shooting rubber bands at the stars. I keep on saying shooting rubber bands at the moon. Eh, whatever. Semantics. Moon, stars, asteroids, planetoids, yeah. Pluto. Shooting, shooting rubber bands at Uranus, Jeff. <laughs> hey, stop that. <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, what I am is still a piece of garbage, and if I get the opportunity to choke Edie Bickell in the shallow water, I'm taking it. <laughs> but uh, but other than that, like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a few a, a bigger listen. Yeah, I I think I actually I think I will too, and I might actually have this around here someplace, either on CD or on vinyl, because I'm pretty sure my former wife Cindy would have had it. This this is up her alley. For music yeah. for that time period, so I might I might actually sure. have a copy of this thing around. And I'm pretty sure Cindy wore farmer jeans at one point. Yeah, she did. <laughs> she did wash though. She washed regularly. 
Yeah. We, we love you, Cindy. Yeah. But before we wrap up the show, let's get back to the trivia question. Okay. The very popular and always well-received trivia question, which barely qualifies as a trivia question. It is uh, seven. That's my answer. That, that's a potential <laughs> answer. But uh, So well, let's give the question again. What time does Santa Claus begin delivering gifts on Christmas Eve? Uh, I'm going to say he doesn't deliver. He exists outside of time and space. So it's in that half a second between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. He makes his rounds. You are potentially right, but you're wording it wrong. Okay. Because our friend Santa Claus lives at the North Pole, he does exist in an area where time does not exist. There is no time at the North Pole. That is where all the time zones converge. Right. So what time does Santa Claus leave to deliver his presents? It doesn't matter. All times. That's, yep. So technically, that counts as a point for me. Yes. One so I'll give row. you a technical point. A technical yeah. point. Technical, technically one in a row. I'll take it. One in a row, Jeff. Yeah, you know what? You got to take them when you can get them. I don't know yep. about too many things. But I know what I know, and that's one of the things I know. Oh, I don't care. I was still shooting rubber bands at Uranus. <laughs> All right. That's going to wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibbly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. Maybe they need to learn how to spell potato.